This is Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. It's new people, new policies, and new pros for today's women on the move. In year 2023, the Department of Veterans Affairs announced that it had formally changed its official mission statement. The change was to fulfill President Lincoln's promise to care for those who have served in our nation's military, to care for their families, their caregivers, and to care for their survivors too. In today's episode, you will hear an inspirational story of an important journey from military service to public leadership. And now here's your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. Welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. It is the award-winning podcast for today's women on the move. And I am your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. Thank you for joining us for a special and exciting conversation with a new member of the Women Veterans Rock Public Policy Delegation. Today, you will meet State Senator Pat Spearman from the great state of Nevada, where she is serving as the State Senator of District 1 in North Las Vegas. And she also serves as the President Temporary of the Nevada State Legislature. Senator Spearman is a proud U.S. Army veteran, retiring as a lieutenant colonel, then on to earn her doctorate degree in business management. Senator Spearman's service to America is a living testimony of women veterans who are successfully transitioning their spirit of military service into a post-military spirit of civic leadership. Our Women Veterans Rock Public Policy Delegation continues to grow and we look forward to serving with yet another powerful woman veteran who adds depth to our collective voices in America's public square. She has a passion for public policy, a genuine love for helping military families, spouses, and their children, and she will be a delightful addition to our national public policy delegation. Please join me in welcoming State Senator Pat Spearman after this short break. Ally Bank is committed beyond banking. They are making banking smarter and simpler. Their commitment is to their customers and serving every community. They encourage working better together, and they are relentless in ally action. As connected corporate citizens, they are focused on environmental, social, and governance issues to promote positive social change and successful business results, which have been at the core of who they are for 100 years. Allied Bank, a responsible corporate citizen who sparks positive change through social impact. New Ranks Digital Media Network is connecting today's new ranks and new generations to family, friends, and faith as a digital lifeline across time and across distance. New Ranks is America's fastest growing digital media network that's connecting people, places, and possibilities to one another. 
Good morning. I'm State Senator Pat Spearman. I'm also President Pro Tempore of the State Senate. I serve Senate District 1 in North Las Vegas from the great state of Nevada. I'm also President Pro Tempore, ordained minister, and a U.S. Army veteran. I am beyond excited. I'm happy. I'm honored to be a part of the podcast posse here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. Good morning. Senator Pat Spearman, we are excited to welcome you to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. Thank you so much. I am excited. I mean, I'm exhilarated just to be here. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity to speak with you and to the listeners uh, about some things that are very near and dear to my heart. So thank you again. Well, it is such a pleasure to have you join us today because we are in this mode of celebration. We're celebrating the new season. We are welcoming you, Senator, as one of the new (laughs) members of the the Women Veterans Rock Public Policy Panel. So I am just delighted that you are here, and I'm delighted that we're going to start this in celebratory mood. All of the above uh, times 2,000 times 2,000. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So <laughs> important public policy information that we want to share with America's and America's military family members as well. I'd like to jump right in and begin with taking some time to get a glimpse into your military service. So why don't we start there, Senator? Sure. Um, I uh, I came through uh, ROTC. I graduated from uh, Norfolk State University there in Norfolk, Virginia. Behold the green, green and the gold. Those who are listening will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and my first duty station was in uh, Korea. Well, let me back up because I think this is important for those who um, who don't understand what we went through back in the day. And so I was one of seven women who were directly branched into the military police corps. And during that time, it was 1978, during that time, um, most of the men that were in the military didn't want us there. They certainly didn't want a black woman there. And uh, I, I had to do things 150 times, 150 percent times what everybody else did. You know, there's a saying that uh, what, do, what doesn't break you will make you. And that that's really what happened for me because I had to do everything much, much better than um, my male counterparts. Uh, when I graduated, I was I was more than physically fit. I knew I knew the course requirements backwards and forwards in and out. Uh, and so what what they meant to harm me, it's kind of like, Joseph, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for my good found out later that there was another young lady who was black. I thought I was the only one. There was another young lady in our, in our um, class that was black and she could pass and she did. So I never even knew. I didn't know until probably like 15 years after I finished the basic course that I said, she she's black? And somebody said, yeah, she was black. I said, we didn't know that. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. And so my first career, my first move uh, from, from uh, basic was over in Korea and I loved that assignment. Um, and I, I, I love that that was my first tour because I was away from everybody and everything that was familiar. I was on the opposite side of everything. When it was day in the States, it was night over there. Uh, so I got it, got a chance to really feel what it, what it would feel like to be on my own and be a real grown up. Uh, from there, I went to Fort Hood, did a number of uh, things at Fort Hood, one of which was uh, to start in radio. So I served all over the place in, uh, in the military. I, uh, went, to, um, I went on uh, reserve status while I finished uh, my um, master's in divinity. Uh, there in Austin, Texas, and uh, from there just kept going. I just I loved the military. As a matter of fact, when 
um, when I retired at my last TV station was at the uh, Pentagon, and I had been selected for a blue hat tour, a United Nations peacekeeping tour. I was going to go uh, to um, uh, Eritrea and be the senior military liaison for the Eritrea Ethiopian Peacekeeping Force. And during my um, during my physical uh, <clears throat> uh, prior to going over there, uh, the thing that had started happening to my hand was discovered. Uh, I started losing a grip in my right hand, which was my shooting hand. And mm-hmm. the doctor said, um, <clears throat> I don't think you're, you're fit for duty. I said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I said, this assignment doesn't require, doesn't require a weapon. I, I don't have to use a weapon. He said, nah. he said, but you might have to. And so it was my right hand that did away with that assignment. But, but they went further to try to see what else, what else has, has happened to you in your military career and um, discovered that the being stationed at the Pentagon because of some of the things that we're doing had asthma. A lot of things that happened. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't take anything at all for the time that I spent in the military, the people that I met, uh, the experiences that I had. I loved, loved, loved it. I probably would have done 40 years if they hadn't discovered that my hand was going out. Well, I have to tell you, Senator, this is just such a pleasure. Escort us on this journey as we take a glimpse mm-hmm. through your military experience. And hearing that you started at ROTC, I hope mm-hmm. that our cadet communities, our members are tuned in right now because mm-hmm. we believe that those who go into ROTC, JROTC, for creating and building the kind of commitment that you've displayed. And you know what? Let me say this. And, and before before college, I couldn't even spell ROTC. I mean, I knew it was, you know, we had it in high school, but I didn't know what they did. And mm-hmm. the only reason I got into ROTC was um, uh, the first school I went to was Bishop College in Texas. And, uh, you know, I have to sign up and for all these classes. And I got to the very end and uh, the counselor was saying, you have to take a gym. I said, I don't have to take a gym because I'm in the band. And in the marching band, that counted as a gym because, you know, in black schools, it wasn't just playing. You were playing and dancing and moving and everything. Um, and so she kept saying, you got it. I said, okay, so what's left? She said, the only thing left is is modern dance. I said, uh-uh, uh-uh. You know, I, I, no, no, no. I, I, I said, That's, what, what, what's the final exam? She said, well, you put together a dance routine and dance in front of the student, student body. And I was shy. Okay, I was like, no, that's not going to happen, dot com. Okay, not going to happen. And the guy that was sitting next to me, uh, was sitting next to her, said, well, why don't you uh, sign up for ROTC? I said, what is that? He said, well, it's a military thing. I said, military, what? And and he explained it to me. He said, he said all you have to do is just take a semester. I said, okay, I'm going to sign up for that. So I ain't taking modern dance, all right? Plus, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and we were taught that dancing was of the devil. So I knew I could, I wasn't getting ready to go to hell so I could finish college. <laughs> you know, so, so, um, I took ROTC and man, I loved it and it loved me. I, you know, I learned the things that, that they were teaching and, and before the semester was out, I was a cadet sergeant. I was like, wow. And so I went through, you know, freshman, sophomore year and at the end of the sophomore year, you had to decide whether you're going to go in or whether you're going to stop. And uh, I loved it. And, you know, people kept saying, well, if you go in, you know, you're going to have to go in. You have to do two years or four years or whatever. You sign a contract. And I started looking at the the number of jobs that were available. And it was hardly anything. And after struggling through college, I was like, I ain't graduating and being poor. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and so I went on and I signed my contract. And, you know, some of my friends were, why'd you do that? You got to, you know, I said, look, at two years. 
you know, six months is basic training. All I got is 18 months. I can do that standing on my head. Okay, but at least I have a job. When I finish, I also have some type of skill set, you know, and um, I wasn't even thinking about leaving after two years. I was like, I love this. I love, love, love this. And so it was it was probably one of the best decisions that I made. Uh, and and not only that, after I got to a certain point, I said, you know, I'm going to do 20 because I'm going to retire. When I when I when I retire, I'll only be like 41, 42. So that's still enough time to get into another career. And I'll always always have a, um, uh, an income. And so uh, when during that time, let me just say this during that time. There were also some things that happened that could have deterred me or could have uh, diminished um, my view of what it would mean to finish uh, in my military career. Uh, mm-hmm. One of which was I was I was sexually harassed. I, I was not assaulted, but I was sexually harassed, verbally sexually harassed. Uh, there were also people that I encountered that uh, didn't want to see uh, a black woman. And one of uh, the people at one of the stations that I went to asked me right out, said, how did a black gal like you make it to be a major? They'll get to oh, be a major. And I said, I said, sir, I worked hard for it. I said, if you, you look at my, my portfolio, look at my OERs, I worked hard for this. And he said, well, you know, enjoy that because um, I just don't think that, you know, women should be in. The, and I'm just not real taken. Uh, I think he said something like like black people or or colored people or something like something it was a word he used and i thought to myself oh my god what am i into um but i had determined that i was going to retire and even though he said even though he said i wasn't going to going to get promoted again uh i did i made it to lieutenant colonel um and so i retired but i always remind people if i had been a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes i would have retired as a two-star general but here i am you know a black girl and got the nerve to be in a combat support um, uh, unit. No, that's not going to, you know, no, no. And so it was tenacity. I'm glad that I did it. And I would say to anybody who wants to go into the military, or for that matter, any other thing that you want to do, there's always going to be somebody telling you what to do, always going to be somebody you got to answer to. Uh, but if you get a chance to do that and you're good at it and you can stay long enough to retire, when you retire, if you don't feel like getting out of bed, you ain't got to do that. You know, just be smart with your money and you got to do do all of that kind of carrying on. So and the benefits were great, too. So um, I loved it. But there were some things that I had to, to overcome and had to get through uh, just so that I could retire. Glad I did it. Well, I have to tell you, I am simply enamored in your passion for not only military service, but civic service. And oftentimes here at Women Veterans Rock, we talk about transitioning. Take a moment to share with us and our listeners about the work that you are doing right now, serving as a state senator of the 1st District of Northern Las Vegas in the great state of Nevada. Talk to us a little bit about your role there in leadership as well as legislation. Thank you. Um, so this was a this was a position I did not seek. There were uh, some people who came to me, and at the time I was pastoring a church, and said, Pastor Pat, you have to run for this. You have to run for Senate. And I'm like, what? And I was working on my doctoral degree at the time, and I'm like, I don't have time to do that. You gotta have time. You gotta have time. So I said, okay, let me pray about it, because uh, I'm not doing nothing without praying. Um, mm-hmm. Let me pray about it. And let me talk to my church, and uh, all the signs that that I should do it were there. And I heard God say, say, run. Right. Mm. This is this is why I brought you here. The, I didn't bring you here for the church. I brought you here for this. I thought again about the story of Joseph. 
you know, he, he got sold into Egypt, but it wasn't to be a slave. He was supposed to be there so he could help them get through the famine. Mm-hmm. Um, ran for it and, and won. But here's the thing that there's an intersectionality, if you will, about my military service and what I do as an elected officer, as a, as a state senator. Mm-hmm. Because I have seen firsthand what happens with uh, our military members, with their families, uh, the things that they go through and deployment and how the families, you know, uh, really suffer, if you will, because sometimes they go away and they don't hear from them for a long time. Um, I, I look at every piece of legislation that comes through the Senate, and it doesn't matter whether it's mine, doesn't matter whether it's sponsored by a Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. I look at all of that through the lens of a military officer and a pastor. Mm-hmm. Now, some people may think those are incongruent, but they, they, they are exactly the same thing because through the military lens, I look at that and say, how does this either help or hurt those on active duty or those who are veterans and still serving? And I also look at legislation from the standpoint of, uh, on one time, as, as Jesus said, you know, whatever you've done to the least of these, You've done mm-hmm. it to me. And so I look at that legislation and say, how does this benefit the least of these? Or at least if it's something that's necessary, how if, if it hurts them, how do we minimize the negative impact? And then how can we come back uh, in another day and clean it up and make it so that that negativity has gone away? Does that make sense to you? And, and so. So, so those things, those things are, are important to me. I, my last uh, duty, as I said before, is at the Pentagon, and uh, I was in the Army Operations Center uh, during the time that the um, Iraq and the Afghanistan wars were in, I mean, the height of the day. Uh, I was there when um, uh, IEDs, and I tell people that's a fancy alphabet name for improvised explosive devices, which just mm-hmm. is just a non-threatening way of saying it's a bomb. Mm-hmm. And so I was there when when they were making the IEDs and and, uh, you know, some of the convoys were rolling over them. And and in essence, people were blown up. And those who were there who survived were the ones who had to clean it up. And after after doing that, there were those who could not function afterwards. They just you know, it was the it was the PTSD back back in the 60s, 70s and, and, and 80s. And even in the 90s, you know, they used to call it, you know, the shell shocked. Well, it's, it's post-traumatic stress. And and so a lot of the legislation that I've done, I've done it to make sure that those who suffer from that, uh, make sure that they're taken care of. Because I was uh, sexually assaulted uh, in Panama in 1986, uh, I've also uh, sponsored legislation to make sure that uh, those veterans who are here in the state of Nevada, uh, military sexual trauma, those who are suffering from that, making sure that we have uh, statutes in place that will help them and to the degree that we can make sure there's money in our state budget so that the care that they need, that they get that. Uh, also looking at it through the lens of uh, knowing that there are some military members who are um, on SNAP. And I, I said to somebody at one time, I said, you know, you do know that that's an abomination, right? Those two words should never be. There are a couple of things, you know, military and homeless, veteran and homeless. That shouldn't be in the same sentence. And military or veteran and receiving public assistance, though, that shouldn't be in the same sentence. Because, you know, after 1973, everybody that served after the draft ended, we served because we wanted to. Nobody came and forced us to. Now, I mean, I'm not I'm not taking any way. Th- 
take anything away from those who were drafted and served. No shade there, okay? But but we served because we wanted to, and we wanted to because you know there was there was something that we wanted to do that was bigger than ourselves. We wanted to give back to something that was bigger than ourselves. Uh, and 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 so I remind people the only reason that we are the land of the free is because we are the home of the brave. Mm. We we gave something, and we didn't come back saying you owe me. But but certainly when we came back, the things that y'all promised us that we were going to get if we served honorably. We ought to get that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's no discussion here. Um, and so I, may, I try to make sure that those promises are kept. I also uh, remember the time when there was a don't ask, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, in and a policy in place, and there were some uh, there were some members of the military before that that were just, you know, if somebody accused you, you were just kicked out. And depending upon the level of homophobia, in your chain of command, uh, you you got either general and some of them, many of them got a, a dishonorable discharge. And it's just like having a felony. And so they couldn't get a job and they didn't have their military benefits. And and that's another thing that just, it, you know, it I, I couldn't. It was it was a, 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 an incongruent to me. I, how how do you do this with someone who has served? And they wanted to serve, and then they get out and they have nothing just because you think that they're a same gender loving person. Okay, that doesn't make sense to me. And it it was crystallized when I was at the Pentagon, and someone came to me and said, "I need you to put on your pastor's hat," because the other thing that I did while I was there, I was I was uh, I was uh, an uh, officer in the operations center, but they also knew I was an ordained minister. So on the Sundays that we worked, I provided the chapel service for for our team. Uh, and they said, put on your pastor's hat. And they told me the story about two people um, who were together, had been together for uh, five or six years. One of them was sent uh, overseas and the other one stayed here. They, both of them were in the same unit. The other stayed home. Well, they got a call one day from somebody. said, when's the last time you heard from so-and-so? And the person said, oh, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah, well, I don't know. And they said, oh. And so they said, well, why did you ask that? Oh, nothing. <clears throat> Why don't you Why don't you call um, call the company? Go go back. You know, call call the company headquarters. And now they're like, "What is it?" And they went over to the company headquarters and asked uh, what had happened to um, this person and to their their squad. Uh, and the uh, they were told, "We can't give you any information because you're not family. You're not you're not next to kin." Now the person is, I mean, almost in pieces. Well. After that, it was about a week later that they were sitting on the couch and they were the news was rolling the names of the people that were killed in action. That's where they saw their partner. Oh, my. And I said, what? the What? And and the family, the family said to the person and I'm I'm I'm, I'm using generic terms because I don't have permission to tell all the specifics. OK, but they did want me to get their story out. Uh, the parents said came and cleaned out their entire uh, uh, house and said, it's your, it's your fault that our child is dead because of this abominable, abominable relationship that you're in and God doesn't like it. And, and, and so our child is dead because of you. And if you come anywhere close to the funeral, we will out you. And so the person didn't go to the wake, didn't go to the funeral, uh, did go to to the uh, cemetery and stood uh, about uh, I think they said something like 15, 20 yards away and watched the the uh, internment. And when everybody left, ran across the the road to the grave 
got there just in time, fell down. It was muddy, fell down just in time to touch the top of the flowers of the coffin and was crying and crying and crying. And I heard that story and I'm thinking, this is not right. This is not right. So in in, in 2010, when um, then the Senate Majority Leader, Harry Reid, God rest his soul, he did a lot of good things for people. Uh, when he started to uh, started the campaign to do away with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I joined it. And, and I joined it because of that reason. And, and, and I joined it because I remembered my experience in the military of trying to hide. And I was a good person. I was, I was a really good, I was a strike soldier. But, but there were people who were serving that had to serve in the closet to keep their career. And I thought that that was not fair. And one of the, one of the U.S. senators said, well, we can't, have, we can't have gay people in the military because it'll destroy uh, the, the, uh, the spirit of the Corps and the morale. I said, we're already there. Some of us are in Arlington National Cemetery and in military cemeteries across the country. What are you talking about? Okay. Um, and so I fought for that. Uh, President Obama issued an executive order while he was uh, in office to upgrade the honor, the, the uh, DD-214, the discharge status of veterans who were discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, if that was the only reason that, that they had been discharged. Um, I knew that we had to do something at the state level because an executive order lasts as long as the person who made it is, is in office. Mm-hmm. So I also carried a bill that requires our Department of Veterans Services to establish mm-hmm. a liaison to reach out, find those veterans, make sure that people know if you have a dishonorable discharge or anything less than an honorable discharge, just because of your affectional orientation, then we're going to help you get that upgraded. Because of what I experienced there and because of what I experienced as a as a minister growing up and, and during a time when they didn't want women to preach, they certainly didn't want a kid. Okay. All of those things have, have come together and and they have made me who I am. I'm gonna tell you one more story. I was born and, and, and I didn't think about this until about three or four years ago, but I was born to do the work that I do. When I was born, um, hospitals were still segregated. My mom had two pains, and she said they came really hard, really hard and fast. And my, my dad picked her up, put her in the car. They drove three blocks to the hospital. He ran inside and said, I need a wheelchair. My wife is having a baby. And the uh, person at the desk said, now, you know the colors don't come through the front door. You go around to the back, and you come through the back, and I'll have somebody there waiting on you. Well, you know, he's like, he, you know, Daddy said, I can't believe it. You know, he said, and so he got back in the car, drove around, and the, the elevator that she had to go up in was the freight elevator, which was also the garbage eleva- elevator, right? And so he, he lifted her out of the car and walked her up the steps, and the elevator opened, the doors opened, and mom said, she, she said, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And she said, then she just passed out because she said that the, the, the pains were too coming too fast. Her water had already broken. And she passed out. Daddy said he caught her before she hit the floor because he said this this elevator in this elevator, there were, you know, pieces of food and other garbage and and uh, medical refuse like needles and stuff like he says all around. And I didn't want her to do that. And when they got to the labor and delivery floor, um, my head was already coming out. And the, the nurses said, oh, my God, the baby's head is coming out. of And so I was born in the midst of garbage, only because of segregation, only because of the ill-gotten notion that because of someone's, the amount of melanin in someone's skin determines their right or lack thereof to have equality. 
And so everything that I do, you know, in, in some way is connected to making sure that equality across the board, where, wherever inequality or inequity exists across the board, I believe God has called me to that place to do something about it. Mm. Well, I am, I have to say to our listeners, this is the kind of passion, experience, and expertise we are uh, excited to be able to welcome to the public policy panel here at Women Veterans Rock because we need to be able to share, educate, and distribute information that's important to the service that we give in military uniform, the service that we give in our post-military life, and the kind of service that you are giving as a member of the state legislator in the state of Nevada. And so we talk about and we'll be we have so many important things to share with policies over the course of this coming year as we begin to share more of our members of our public policy council. Uh, I just want to be able to tell our listeners that this is important information and for them to stay tuned for this kind of passion, this kind of expertise and this kind of experience that's going to help shape us as we continue to work through the kinds of issues that are important to military families. Mm -hmm. Senator, you said to me that there's a resolution that you've been working on in the recent past, and this mm -hmm. resolution has to do with providing um, benefits that fund military retirement for military spouses. Would you share a little bit with our audience about the nature of that resolution? Was that resolution put in place at this time? It's important. It's important because uh, when we serve, our families serve. And I know of so many instances where the spouse and when I was uh, on active duty, it was mostly women. Wherever the military, the active duty person was sent to, that person went to. They were the ones that unpacked the boxes. They were the ones that set up the house. They were the ones that made sure the kids got enrolled in school. and all. They, they were the ones that did all of that while, while we reported to our duty station and just began to do what we were supposed to do. But at the end of their career, of, of our career, active duty career, we get, we get, you know, the, the, the salute, we get the pass and review, we get thank you for your service and we get, and we get a nice pension. We get a nice, you know, retirement where, and then they turn to the spouse and they give them flowers. And mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, something's wrong with this picture. Okay. Can, can anybody tell me what's wrong with this picture? Oh Yeah. That's right. They're the one that did a whole lot of work and they're not being compensated for it. And you have you have spouses who <clears throat> who married in college. They they went to college. And so they ha they also have a degree. Many of them have if they didn't go to college, they went to another trade or technical school or something. But they studied to become something okay, to be able to do something. And they don't stay because we move every two years, three years, or whatever, even four years, they never get a chance to get vested. And so all they get at the end is they can share our retirement, you know, but they have nothing of, uh, of their own. And I've also, as in my role as pastor, I've also worked with spouses who had, uh, they were married to someone uh, 18 years. And the person, because they only had like two years left before retirement, they were sent, you know, to like a one year tour. But before they came back and, and this happened in 2010, 2011, I think it was when he came back, 
um, just before they came back, a, a gentleman called his wife and said, uh, I'll be home, you know, in six weeks and you and the boys need to be out of there because I'm bringing my girlfriend back. Hmm. And the wife was like, what? Yeah, you need to be out of there. I'm, I'm, I'm filing for divorce. Okay, 18 and a half years, she's, she's gone all over the world with this jerk. And, and now she's gonna, he's going to retire. And because she's not married to him at 20, then she gets nothing. And I said, no, 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 no. We have to do better than that. And so the bill that I sponsored, it was Senate Joint Resolution 6 in the 2021 session of the Nevada State Legislature. And what it does is it urges Congress to develop a military spouse's retirement system. We're not, I'm not asking for them to do anything with the budget. The only thing I'm asking is if someone is, for example, a teacher here in Nevada, you know, you're, you, you, you pay into um, the personnel retirement system. Okay. But even though they pay into that while they're teaching, unless they get vested, they don't have the benefit of that. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, they're nurses, they're, whatever, they, they never get a chance to to fulfill what they wanted to do in their career, and they also don't get a chance to be uh, financially compensated for it. And so I just think that, that it's wrong that that happens. And the reason that the other reason that we should do that is because it, it, it really is a matter of readiness, because there's some people that, that leave the service because their spouse says, um, it's me or the Army. OK, I'm sick of following you around. And when I, we get there, there's nothing for me to do. I can't do this. And so we've gone halfway with the bills for reciprocity, meaning that if someone is licensed in Nevada and their spouse gets stationed in New Jersey, New Jersey has a compact law. And so they can immediately be licensed as long as <clears throat> as long as the requirements are the same. And if they're not, then all they have to do is just a little bit more. But now what we need to do is we need to have that military spousal uh, retirement system. And they can do that really easy. Something called the thrift savings plan that some some uh, members of Congress, their staff participate in. All they have to do is allow spouses to pay into that instead of the retirement system that they're paying into in the state, wherever they're the military, the active duty member is. You know what I'm saying? And so someone who is a teacher in Nevada and they're only here <clears throat> for two years, they're paying into a PERS system that they will not be able to participate in. Instead of putting in that into the PERS system, then that money would go to the thrift savings plan and it would build. And at the time that the military service member retired, they could do one or two things. They either could keep paying into that or they would have something there that would look like a nice retirement. It's so simple. I don't know why we haven't done it. I think that this is fantastic because oftentimes we see that our legislators, whether it's on a state level or federal level, they go into service and we don't often see something concrete that is a kitchen table issue that we can really relate to our lives, every spouse or not. We know that retirement benefits are really important. And as I hear you talk about Senate Joint Resolution 6, it is fascinating and really important that you couch this in the framework that Resolution 6, Military Spousal Retirement Benefits, is connected to military families and it is a key component to military readiness. Mm -hmm. We don't hear that often, that military families are a core component of how we keep our military members in a state of readiness. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and let me say this. The other part of that is 
when active duty members, when we're sent someplace, it is the, the spouse that's left behind mm-hmm. that has to hold the family together. And I remember talking to a Gold Star mother, and I remember her son uh, was the one in the military. And the daughter-in-law was was left behind when he went to, and I can't remember whether it was Iraq or Afghanistan, but went, went into a combat zone. And the daughter... The daughter-in-law is the one that got the news from the chaplain. And and she called her mother-in-law, who was on the freeway, and she told her, said, pull over. And she was crying so hard. The mother-in-law was like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And then she said, so I pulled over. And she said, I'm, I'm panicking now. And she just yells out, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. You know, she said, well, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. And she said it was like, you know, more than a week before the daughter-in-law could pull herself together. And they had kids that were under the, under the age of 10. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so this is what happens when our our spouses are left behind. They are serving. They are serving. They may not be in the combat zone, but they got a combat zone in their head going off. And Mm -hmm. and, and every time the the doorbell rings or every time the phone rings or or the mail comes in, you know, it's like, oh, God, please don't let it be this. Please don't let it be this. And so so we have to do the things that are necessary to make sure that that if they're not. Financially compensated, and that's what SJR, Senate Joint Resolution 6, would do. But we also have to make sure that we're making their lives um, a lot more livable and the quality of life uh, better while we're serving, mm-hmm. while we're serving. And and the mother-in-law, you know, said to me, if I hadn't been there, I don't know what would have happened because there were certain things that she had to do, and uh, she didn't really have um, child care or babysitter. And so the other thing, and I, I want to, I'll, I'll come back later and talk about it, but the other thing that I did, I sponsored a bill. Unfortunately, it didn't get out of um, the Senate, but I sponsored a bill to give priority placement to Gold Star families. Gold Star means that, you know, you've got a loved one that has paid the ultimate sacrifice. That's right. I have no idea why, why my colleagues on the other side of the aisle fought it and fought it. And I tried several different ways to try to get it through, and they just fought it and fought it and fought it. And, I, and somebody said to me, well, I don't know why, 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 why uh, military families, but what is a Gold Star? What is that anyway? And, you know, uh, I was kind of like, Mary, Mary, you know, I need a little bit more Jesus. <laughs> I need a little bit more Jesus, okay? Because, <laughs> I mean, a whole lot more Jesus. I need it. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus. And, I, you know, I said to them, you know, all you, all you have to look at places like Russia and China and some other places, you know, where we don't have these kind of freedoms. And, and the only reason you have that is because we have agreed to serve, okay? Now, everybody doesn't go into a combat zone, but those of us who didn't go are in the rear supporting those who are in the combat zone, okay? And so... So for just to do that thing, to have priority placement in, in, in daycare centers. And the other thing that I was asking for, I was asking for a grant from the federal government that that would uh, subsidize state funding for that service, for, for, for child placement. Okay. Mm-hmm. It never, it never, never saw the light of day. Okay. And so, so, so this thing, SJR SJR six, is 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 another way to say as long as we can compensate our military spouses who are doing the same thing that we're doing, you know, except in 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 high heels, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Uh, and but they are just as important. And 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 now because you have a lot more women who are in the military, you know, some of the spouses are are men. And, and, and because Don't Ask, Don't Tell has gone away, you have a lot of same-gender loving couples who are there. And so the spouse can be woman, it can be a woman, it can be a man, 
Mm-hmm. But what, who, whoever it is, they deserve an opportunity to have a retirement system. They follow this all over the world, y'all. Come on. Mm-hmm. Come mm-hmm. on. So here we have Senate Joint Resolution 6 that is earmarked and, and directed at cultivating spousal retirement benefits. What are your hopes and expectations for the Military Spousal Retirement Benefit Resolution? I'm hoping because uh, the resolution encourages Congress to do it, and I am really hoping that it will pick up steam uh, and someone in uh, Congress mm-hmm. can introduce a bill mm-hmm. to so make this a reality. Current, what is the current status? The current status is that it was transmitted, uh, it went from the um, Senate. And it went to uh, it was transmitted to the um, president and vice president uh, asking them to make sure that we got this done. Uh, As of yet, we've not heard. And I know that I've talked to um, both our president and our vice president who really want to take this on. Um, And 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 even though this is important, when you when you have people who are bound and determined to use a government shutdown, as a political tool, mm-hmm. you you you're you're fighting a bigger battle. If that makes sense to you, sure it does. Yeah. So so where we are right now is is it hasn't it hasn't been acted upon. But I am I am fighting still fighting that we will we will introduce this bill in Congress and we will make sure that military spouses at last have a retirement system. Like I said, all you have to do is use a thrift savings plan. And maybe I don't know enough about it, but but I know that when I was in when I was in the military, I gave it. I, I put into the thrift savings plan. CSP is what they call it. Mm-hmm. I did that. And so if it, if 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 the mechanism is already there, why not just open it up for spouses to be able to pay into it? All they have to do is instead of paying into the teachers' retirement fund in Nevada, that money goes to their TSP. Now, I may, I may not know everything, but I, I, I believe, you know, in in my pedestrian way of thinking, I believe that makes sense. It certainly does. And I think that it is an important, huge step forward to be able to have this kind of resolution ironed out. I do know that it has to go through the process, but we have to begin the discussion because without the discussion, we can't work towards these benefits and we can't work towards another stage and getting some equality and how we are compensating those who serve in military families as well. How can America's women veterans and military spouses help in your endeavor to be able to get some attention to Senate Joint Resolution 6? Well, the first thing I would ask is every um, organization that supports military, active, or veterans, um, I would ask that they they would uh, pass a resolution within their organization to go to Congress saying that they support this. And for individuals, I would ask them to contact their um, members of Congress uh, those in the House of Representatives and their U.S. senators, and say this is something that we want and that we need, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and let's let's just keep asking for it. Mm-hmm. And and so many times, you know, so many times, spouses are reluctant to ask for what they need because there was a rumor uh, going around that that spouses were quote just a spouse, and I'm like, you got to kid me. It's no just a. Because the spouse is serving like the active duty member. 
And sure. so, yes, if you're a spouse, you are as important to what we do in our fights for freedom across this world. You are just important as I am, mm-hmm. if not more so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not more so. And Senator, you're the first person that I've heard that made that connection about keeping our military families whole and safe. It's really a core component. We know that. We live that. We experience it. But I thank you for articulating it and being able to couch those words and connect them together. It's important. And and if I can, let me read Let me read the, the last paragraph of Senate Joint Resolution. Um, it says, resolved that the Secretary of the Senate prepare and transfer a copy of this resolution to the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States as presiding officer of the United States Senate, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and each member of the Nevada Congressional Delegation, the United States Secretary of the Department of Defense, and the Governor of the State of Nevada. So we covered all the bases. We just, we just need somebody to pick up the banner and start running with it. Well, Senator, I thank you for your commitment. I thank you for your expertise, your experience of course, your service. And I thank you for supporting Women Veterans Rock Policy Delegation. And uh, once again, I want to thank you. I want to celebrate you and recognize you as one of the newest members of the Women Veterans Rock Public Policy Panel. Oh, I'm honored. I'm honored. (laughs) Well, I'm honored. Our listeners that they should stay tuned. It is this kind of passion and experience that they are going to hear more about in terms of public policy, in terms of insight into how our legislators are creating policy, are submitting it for recommendations, are submitting it to their um, colleagues on a state level as well as a federal level. So throughout this year, we're going to be celebrating not only the 10th season, we are celebrating the kind of expertise that we are bringing to the public policy panel and the women veterans delegation. Senator Spearman, it has just been a tremendous um, joy. Um, We've learned a lot. We thank you for sharing your experience. And I'd like to ask you if there's any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listening audience. And folks, I want you to know she's coming back. I I would just say this. Uh, We we talked about making sure that they contact um, uh, the people in D.C. about the um, military spouses retirement system. But I'd also like to say to those who are listening who have what we call bad paper, you got a DD-214 that is less than honorable uh, discharge under, under other than honorable conditions. If you do not have an honorable discharge and you were separated from the service because of your affectional orientation under don't ask, don't tell, or the horrible system that existed before that, please contact somebody in your state. Contact your Veterans Services Commission or department, whatever you have in that state, and ask them if they have some way to help you upgrade your discharge. And there are attorneys across the country who will do that for free. I don't have a list of them, but I, I promise you, if you start asking the question, there's somebody that can help you get there. Uh, HRC uh, can help you understand that. Uh, Lambda Legal can help you understand that. But make sure you do that because an honorable discharge is what you need in order to get a home loan. An honorable discharge is what you need to get your health care taken care of when you have service-connected energy uh, uh, injuries. The honorable discharge opens up a whole new world of support for you as a veteran. So don't sit and suffer in silence. Make sure you find out how you can get that done. And thank you all. Thank you. Thank all of you all who have served. 
Thank you for your service. And thank you for all of the spouses who served along with us and have not gotten the appreciation or the accolades that you deserve. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Senator Spearman, thank you for joining us here today at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. We look forward to how you are going to enrich our work in public policy and serving military women. Thank you. Thank you. We thank Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, a national enduring partner of Women Veterans Rock for their longtime support and for their shared vision of service, inclusion, and equality. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors, Comcast NBC Universal Military and Veterans Affairs for their support of women veterans, military families in the production of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. And there's one last thing before we go. America's public discourse has been saturated with references to civic engagement, community leadership, diversity, equity, inclusion, and most importantly, our democracy. Simply put, Democracy is defined as a system of government in which all eligible members choose leaders by voting. A democratic system is a form of government vested in a system of the people, by the people, and for the people. And in the words of Margaret Mead, an American cultural anthropologist who was frequently featured as an author and a speaker in mass media during the 1960s and in the 1970s. She was born in Philadelphia in 1901 and died in New York City in 1978 at the age of 76. And she says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Now, Posse, take us home.